Fantastic. Um, a couple of things. First thing I want to say, uh, it has been a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you. I have enjoyed thoroughly you all. I think you're a special group of kids. Um, I've gotten to talk to some of you, get to know some of you. Uh, I look forward to keeping up with you through your, your uh, counselors, the pastors that I know. Um, I consider it a privilege to have been here for a week with you and holding the scriptures together as friends, as good teammates, right? Because we are. We're on the same team. And I love, I love the reality of knowing that 10, 20, 30 years from now, you all will be building your messy lives around Jesus. And that excites me. It really does. Um, there's that something else I need to, I gotta get this straightened out. Does anyone else have this sign above their toilet? Or is it just mine? I just need to figure this one out. Please help us conserve water. We are in a drought. <laughs> I, I, I'm just not buying it. Are you buying it? Are we in a drought? That was last year. Good night. All right, so I told you I would bump a story. You chose the arrest story, right? So here's the, uh, the best prank ever kind of story. All right, now I'm in Simsbury. Now I'm in high school. I'm in your age, all right? And there's a, a country club uh, that's really nice. And it's because it's in Connecticut, right? And they have nice country clubs there. And it sits on a hill on a golf course. So you've got to get the terrain right. If we don't get the terrain... We're not going to see how special this prank was. <laughs> All right. So it sits on a hill, surrounded by a golf course, and you would, you would drive up to the, to the uh, pool, and you would go down this way around, around the golf course, and there's a road, and on the other side of that road is a high grass field. Got it? All right. Important. Now, we are going in about 20 minutes, half the football team. We're going to go, and we're just going to go pool hop late one night at the country club pool. Fun, right? That's stuff you do in high school, right? Uh, but when we got there, there was a bunch of college kids there having a big pool party. Some fraternity, sorority thing. I mean, it was loaded. They were blasting their music, and we're like, well, we got a better idea. Around the pool, there are these apple trees that surround the pool. And it was at that time of the season when they had all fallen off and they were rotten and they were just sitting there in the grass. And my best friend Mike Ryan said, hey, let's have some fun with their party. Now we're just kids. We're 16, 17. These are 22, 23, 24-year-old men and women, right? Probably faster, bigger, stronger. Who knows? But we don't care. So what we do is that we each, we each grab like a shirt load. We go like this and we just stuff them with 20 guys, football players, as much apples as you have, and stuff in here. And we surrounded the pool. And there, and then, and we said, 
one of us would give a really loud whistle, and that was the signal for arms away. Fire away. Launch him. So we surrounded the pool, and we heard the signal, and I mean, we were throwing them as fast as we could, and I wish it was, I wish YouTube was around then, because we would have filmed this thing, and it would have been on YouTube forever. It was a hail, a hailstorm of rotten apples. <laughs> You know, it's like, it's like, you know, Thermopylae, the arrows, it was just like coming down. And I mean, we're launching them and launching them and, you know, they're out there having fun, playing their music, whatever they're doing, whatever college people do, right? They're out there doing it and you just start hearing people scream. You start hearing girls scream, you start hearing guys get really, really mad and really, really jacked up, right? And you start hearing it splatter and splatter and and hitting people, and ow, and I mean, it was, it was beautiful. <laughs> now, the terrain. The terrain is very important. For us to escape, we have to run across a golf course, which is about a mile long, okay? And we gotta get across the golf course, and we gotta get across the road that comes out here, and into that field, and, and duck down in that field, and hide in that, about this high grass and wait it out, man. That's all we could do. <laughs> so, immediately the strong and the swift of the college students were climbing the fence and they were coming after us. I mean, you can hear them right behind us saying stuff like, really nice stuff like, we're going to kill you. Um, when we get our hands on you, your mama's not going to recognize you. I mean, all this kind of stuff. And then other guys got in their cars and were racing around because they knew they needed to cut us off as we're running through the golf course. So these were townies, right? So, I mean, we are, we're laughing, <laughs> we're crying, and we are, and we're like, we're in trouble. <laughs> we are in trouble, because these are fast kids, and they're coming, I can hear them, I can, we're just going down right, and you, you know when you run in the dark, you're like, well, we saw it on that YouTube thing. <laughs> I mean, I'd start seeing, I'd see one of my buddies go down, and go, oh well. <laughs> I'd see another guy go down, oh well, and we're running, man. And we, and then you start, and this is the worst part about it. You're going over hills like this, and as you're running, you could look and you could see the cars racing. I mean, a string of cars, three, four cars packed with guys. And they want to head us off, and they really want to, they want to treat us nicely. <laughs> All right, so I'm with Mike. The backstory is this, Mike and I were best friends. He was the, the halfback, I was the, the fullback and the linebacker, and he, he had never gotten caught. We had done this for years, this kind of stuff. He's never gotten caught, I've never gotten caught. It's very important that we do not get caught. <laughs> so we're running. All right, now we get down towards the end of the night, and I can see the cars coming around, and we're at the road. And we run across the road, and their headlights are on us. And they lay on the horn, and we hear the guys breathing hard behind us. And we run into the, that grass like this, and then we just go down like deer. And we start crawling. And they put all their cars into the field, and they're shining their lights, and they now come hunting for us. <laughs> it's unbelievable, I know. And I mean, we are like, we got as small as we could, and they searched, they must have searched for like 30 or 40 minutes to find us. Some of them walked right by us, because they didn't have flashlights, they could only use their lights. But we never got caught. <laughs>
Best prank ever, man. Now, the backside of the story is my brother did get caught. But, by the grace of God, one of the college students knew he was my brother. <laughs> and so he was okay. Which is good. All right, y'all. Let's, um... Oh, they let him go. They let him go. They, they were threatening to do all kinds of stuff to him. And then one of the guys said, hey, man, he's only a kid. Because he was. He was in junior high at the time. And he was hanging out with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Pete has not let that down. I think he's, he's gone into counseling now for about five years over that whole incident for what I did to him. Okay, how do we transition to that, to the scriptures? All right, John 17, we're going to look at 24 through 26. This is our last, our last time in, in John 17. Okay? Tomorrow night's a wrap-up night. I'm trying to figure out what we're going to do there. We'll figure out something. But as far as this passage, this is it. This is it for us, okay? It's been a great journey, right? I didn't, can I confess to you? I didn't think John 17 had this much stuff in it. Sometimes I go and I study passages, particularly when they're assigned to me, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't like having things assigned to me. I like kind of coming up with a, I think I should write right, out of the text. Where I think, but this has been great. I could not believe there was so much in this passage. All right, most of us have heard the numbers about the Nazis murdering over 6 million Jews, right? But did you know that of those 6 million, 1 million of them were children? Kids like Ty and Brady's age. The little kids that are running around here. Absolutely gruesome, absolutely disgusting, right? Uh, Philip Haley, the author of Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed, wrote the following about this time. He said the village of Les Chambon was the safest place for the children for children on the continent of Europe during the war years. There was one place where children could go when Nazi when the Nazis were on their rampage of murder. This French village consisted of three thousand impoverished Huguenots. You know what a Huguenot is? A French Calvinist. There are people. <coughs> and the pastor of that village is a guy named Andre Trocme. And he was a descendant of one of Calvin's original apprentices. All right, so here he is tucked into this village. 3,000 impoverished Calvinists saved the lives of more than 5,000 Jewish children right under the nose of a division of SS troops. That's pretty amazing. For four years they did this. Haley was speaking at an engagement in Minneapolis about his book and the events he recorded. And at the end of his lecture, he took questions. And this lady stands up. And she says, well, you have been speaking about the village that saved the lives of all three of my children. And it went deathly silent and that whole audience. And then she continued and she said, the Holocaust was storm, lightning, wind, and rain. And Le Chambon was the rainbow. The rainbow. Life is a storm. I don't know if you all are Old enough to figure that out? I know some of you have. Ethan knows life's a storm. 
Life is a storm, and it's lightning, and it's rain, and it's wind, and we need a rainbow. Where is the rainbow? Please stand for the hearing of God's word. We're going to look at John 17. at 17 we're now finishing up so we're going 24 is that what it is yeah 24 through 26 here we go father i desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where i am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world O righteous father even though the world does not know you i know you these know you that you have sent me i made known to them your name and i will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. So, oh God, we, we thank you for this week. We thank you that your word is uncaged. We thank you that your word is an everlasting, imperishable seed that carries divine life and divine power in it. And this week we have experienced that. All of us. And sometimes, sometimes though, it's like a, like a farmer who sows the seeds. And then he goes away and he wakes up and then all of a sudden there's this massive crop. So sometimes the seed takes a while. But the seed explodes because it has life and power in it. So, oh God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for your spirit, and we ask for one last time this week in terms of our time together, would you shine on the page? Would you show up? And in the process, would you change us on the spot? And we ask this in your name, amen. All right, so John 17 is about the meaning of life, right? So the question is, do you want to touch reality? Do you want to live in reality? Do you want that? Uh, Are you lost in the chaos of your life? Are you lost in the chaos within and the chaos without? There's stuff that comes out of us and there's stuff that comes at us. And both are scary things. And the longer you live with yourself, the more and more you're going to be able to appreciate the chaos within. And the more and more you're going to see the chaos that comes at you, right? John 17 is the rainbow in the storm of life. Now, some of you, though, here, and we're going to touch upon our condition a little bit, if you'll let me. Some of us here are like Philip Haley was when he was doing research for this. He didn't, get, he didn't find Le Chambon until the end. But he was a soldier on the Allies, and he had participated in pushing Germany out. And then he started, when they started realizing what had happened and what the Nazis had done and the extermination, concentration camps, the murder, he started studying it because he was on a pursuit to try to figure out how can man do that to man. And this is what he said. Across all these studies, the pattern of the strong crushing the weak kept repeating itself and repeating itself so that when I was not bitterly angry, I was bored at the repetition of the pattern of persecution. Then he said, my study of evil had become a prison whose bars were my bitterness toward the violent and whose walls were my horrified indifference to slow murder. 
See, what he starts describing is as he starts, descri- he starts discovering evil, it starts taking him into a world of hopelessness. And here's how he ended it. Reading about the damned, I was damned myself, as damned as the murderers. Somehow over the years, I had dug myself into hell and had forgotten redemption. I had forgotten the possibility of escape. Twelve years he studied the Holocaust. And he was losing himself. Have you forgotten redemption? Have you forgotten that there's a way of escape? (coughs) There is a rainbow for you. Hang in there. All right, next. Some of us feel like Sam Rima. He's a longtime pastor, famous author, at least in his circles. And he said that one day he just exploded. He's with his wife in his car, and then one day he just exploded, and he said, I quit. I can't do this anymore. He goes on to say, no matter what I do or how hard I work, it's never the right thing, and it's never good enough. I just can't please everyone. Over the years, I've worked hard, but never hard enough. I've counseled, but never with enough compassion. I've socialized and shared, but never with enough people. Sure, the church has grown, but not fast enough or well enough according to my internal standard. I can't work hard enough to meet the expectations I feel constantly pressing in on me and burying me into the ground. So he explodes, and his his wife is just like, what's happening? Honey, are you okay? He says, no, I'm not okay. This has been building for 15 years. And then he goes on to say this, Without warning, my previously well-ordered inner world reeled out of control. The tears gushed uncontrollably, and I felt completely lost. I simply could not think clearly or regain my inner balance. It was as if a huge, ominous, dark cloud covered me, and for the first time in my life, as a Christian, I had no hope. Are you tired in the core of your being do you feel no hope please hear me there is a rainbow (coughs) others of you Henry Newman wrote a book and he describes the way we seem to be a lot these days right so we might feel like this he says beneath all the great accomplishments of our time there's a deep current of despair He goes on to say, while efficiency and control are the great aspirations of our society, loneliness and isolation and lack of friendship and intimacy and broken relationships and boredom and feelings of emptiness and depression and a deep sense of uselessness fill the hearts of millions of people in a success-oriented culture. And he says, and here's the heart of it all. He says, the heart of it is this. There's a cry behind this sense of loneliness. There's a cry behind this sense of depression. There's a cry behind this sense of being forgotten. Here's the cry. Does anybody love me? Does anybody love me enough? How does he say it? Is there anybody who wants to stay home for me? Is there anybody who wants to be with me when I'm not in control, when I feel like crying? Is there anybody who can hold me and give me a sense of belonging? Do you feel deep in your core unloved? 
There is a rainbow. John 17 says there is a rainbow and we can't live without it. If we don't have the rainbow, life will only be storm. Verse 26, here it is. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What is the rainbow? You know it already. Knowing God. But did you catch one of the most powerful words in that whole 26? Continually know. The rainbow is knowing God and continually knowing Him. There is always more of God than you will ever, ever know. But what you get to know will put paradise and a rainbow in your heart and in your life. Specifically, though, did you see what it is about knowing God that's so powerful here? I have made known to them your name. Basically, who you are, God, and what you've done, I've made that known to them. And I will continue to do so. Right? That the love with which you have loved me may be in them. In other words, he, God wants you, Jesus wants you to know that God loves you with the same love that he loves him. <laughs> wow. And I know that many of you right now in this room don't believe that. Impossible, you say. Oh, oh, Jeff, that might preach, but that is not in touch with reality. Some of you are thinking right now, look, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've been in youth groups my whole life. I've been in church my whole life, but I have never felt God's love like that. So what good is it? What good is it to be a Christian? What good is it to be involved in the church? What good is it to be in places like this and never feel that reality? Others of us are thinking, man, that sounds too good to be true. It's so good, I'm not good enough to ever be on the receiving end of it. And then others of us are thinking, I want to believe it. I just can't. God, this is what God is saying to you and me in this passage. He is saying, I know it's hard for you to feel loved by me. Your feelings can be a barrier to you actually experiencing God's love for you. Remember Richard Sibbs? Remember him? Remember what he said? Measure not God's love by the favor or favor by your own feeling. Remember what he said? The sun shines always, even on cloudy days. Your feelings and my feelings are clouds that often get in the way of us feeling God's love. Your feelings get impacted by circumstances. Your feelings get impacted by your body. Your feelings get impacted by life that comes at you. Your Do you know your feelings get impacted by people? What happens when somebody just nonchalantly just wants to cry? Hey, you know what? Um, <coughs> Do you think you could have done this a little better over here? Or just critiques you in some way? How do you feel? Loved? Affirmed? Encouraged? 
People can affect your feelings. Your own thinking can affect your feelings. For instance, if we think we are better than others because we're more moral or disciplined, you know what our feelings are going to say when we're achieving our moral standards? We will feel more loved by God than those that don't meet the standards. Our feelings make truth assertions all the time. Our feelings are constantly telling us what reality is and what's not. So is this true, though? Are your feelings true? That you're more loved when you're more disciplined? <coughs> you're more blessed when you're more moral? And those that don't have as much discipline and aren't as moral, are they less loved? Is that true? Heck no. Do you remember what Jesus said when the disciples freaked out on the storm? He says, guys, are you believing your feelings of fear more than me? Feelings are not God's word. And you've got a lot of them and I've got a lot of them, but they're not God's word. God's word says, I love you with the same kind of love I have for Jesus. <coughs> Feel that. That is truth. And God's word, God's truth, is what your feelings are meant to feel. So let that shape your feelings. And if your feelings are not in line with God loving you the same way that he loves Jesus, then you have false feelings. And you have no business listening to them. You want to say to those kind of feelings, you're not true. And you're not my Savior. And you can't love me. Jesus does. God also says to you and me in this passage, you know what he says? Relax. I love this passage. These last verses surprised me because I was thinking, all right, I'm getting at the end. What else can I say? Or what else can be said in John 17? And Jesus is saying through this passage, God is saying through this passage, relax. It's not even up to you to get the reality of God's love for you. Did you see that in the passage? It's not even up to you to know God. It's not up to you to get the reality of that one-way kind of love for you. It's not up to your performance. It's not up to how hard you pray. It's not up about being good enough. It's not about reading the right books. It's not about fasting from chocolate. It's not about being skinny. It's not about avoiding sin or tattoos. It's not about your performance at all. Do you see that? Jesus says... I'm the one that makes God known to you. I'm the one that makes his love known to you. Look at it. Verse 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Knowing God and his love is by God's grace. <coughs> Never by your performance. Never, ever, ever by your performance. 
If that offends you, you need to be offended. Because your performance is getting in the way of you knowing God and knowing how much he loves you. Who are the first people that get Jesus in the Bible? People with good performance or people with bad performance in terms of people's expectations and cultural expectations? Outsiders. Who? Outsiders. The bad people. The bad performance. Performance. Why? Why did they get it? Because they knew they were deeply messed up and they knew they got grace quicker than those of us like me. I'm that good performance guy. I would have been the religious Pharisee. I would have been saying, you sinners. Where are we? Good night. God also says to you and me in this passage, receive my love for you. It's even better than you think. How is it better? This is fascinating. Jesus wants you to see his glory. Do you see that in verse 24? Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. Jesus wants you. He desires it. His passion, his heart is that you see his glory, that you know him and that you know how much he loves you. Okay, Jesus, what's on your heart? What is your, what makes you get up in the morning? What do you desire, O king of the earth? I desire that they see my glory. I desire that they know me. I desire that they get me. I desire that they know how deeply loved they are. That's Jesus' desire. So you, do you desire to know God? And to know his love? This passage says, that's great. But Jesus desires it more. Do you ever wonder, do you wonder if anyone cares about your loneliness and your feelings of rejection and being unloved and unwelcomed? Jesus does. And he desires more than anything that you know you're not that you're known by God, that God loves you, and that's his passion, is to get you to get that. And then there's a bunch of us, though, right, that we have no desire to know God and his love. You know what Jesus says to you? I have that desire for you. It's about my desire, not yours. I will make God known. And I will do so, so that you know that God loves you like he loves me. Receive my love for you. It's even better than you think. How is it better? Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. All right. All right. Remember, it's the same kind of love. God loves you the way he loves Jesus. Well, how did he love Jesus? What kind of love does God have for Jesus? It's the kind of love that goes way back. Did you see that? You loved me before the foundation of the world. So we're back to that ancient magic. We're about back to that ancient love. God has loved Jesus before. Okay. God, when did you love Jesus? Before. Okay, I get that. But when? Before. Okay, so before the dinosaurs? Before. 
Before the world? Before. Where's before in eternity past? It's just before. So when did he love you? Before. Same kind of love. If Paul was here, he'd come up here and he'd say, he chose you and loved you before the foundations of the world. God's love for you is not new. It's ancient. God doesn't love you because you're now a Christian. Jesus didn't come to get God to love you. Jesus came because God loved you before it all. This is why Jesus died for your sins. Because he loves you. This is why he lived that sanctified life, remember? It's a set-apart life. He's going to say, I am going to set my life apart and live the life that they didn't live and die the death that they should die. It's a sanctified life because I love them. God's love is unfailing. We've seen about it, right? It endures forever. It's a before kind of love. It's not a new love. It's an ancient love. Do you know what changed Philip Holly after 12 years of looking at evil and looking at darkness and looking at lightning and looking at rain and looking at wind and looking at the storm? What changed him was the village of La Chambon. That became his rainbow. Because you know what happened? He said when he started interviewing the people there, he started seeing with his own eyes what took place there. He started seeing the pastor getting screamed at by an SS troop captain in front of the whole village. It's 3,000 people. They're all out. And the pastor's in the center of the square, and the Nazi is in his grill screaming at him, I know you're hiding Jews. And if you don't turn them over, you and your village is gone. And Philip Holly said, I saw Andrew Tokme say, no. No. I will never tell you. And this is the quote. I saw the pastor refuse to give up these people who had been strangers in his village, even at risk of his own destruction. Do you see it? Do you see that Jesus refused to give up on you, even to his own destruction? That is the rainbow. And that rainbow, it will change your life. It will renew your life. It will energize your life. It will put you back together. And it will take you where you are now. And it will keep you going five years from now. 
and it will keep you going 10 years from now, and it will keep you, God forbid, if you and I have to be an Andrew Chalkmate.